It's not like any other podcast. Coming to you straight from Eastern Iowa, where apartment ownership and investing is told like it is. It's time for Darren Garman's Apartment Specialist Podcast. Hold on, because here comes the next episode of the Apartment Specialist Podcast. Well, hey everybody, Darren Garman here, and welcome to this week's podcast. Uh, We are going to talk about something that, well, on one hand, you may think it may be a little boring, but I assure you it's very important. And the way we're going to tackle this today is I think it will will actually uh, be of quite a bit of interest for you. And that has to do with property casualty insurance, some of the things you want to be thinking of, some of the strategies you want to be thinking of uh, in terms of property casualty insurance when you are selecting an insurance carrier for multifamily real estate. Uh, So we're going to talk about that. Uh, But before we do, I want to remind you that our Heartland Multifamily Investment Summit is coming up in January, and that's January 13th and then March 9th. So Heartland Investment Multifamily Summit will be on the 13th of January, and then we'll also be having another summit on March 9th. And this is, of course, in 2020. Uh, I am only limiting this to 15 investors to attend this summit, and it will be nothing like you have seen before. Uh, there is no kind of seminar. It's not getting butts in seats to sell anything. It is a real-world learn, understand, and get an idea uh, on investing in multifamily and doing it successfully. And again, that's going to be limited to just 15 investors at the March 9th session and the January 13th session. So again, January 13th, 2020, March 9th of 2020, check your calendars, and you can get the full schedule of the summit at heartlandinvestmentsummit.com. That's www.heartlandinvestmentsummit.com. So if you are a serious investor looking to take your investment to the next level, especially when it comes to being uh, an investor and owner of multifamily real estate, this is a must attend. So again, www.heartlandinvestmentsummit.com. I will only do this a few times, less than a handful, about a handful, close to a handful, less than a handful, whatever. I only do it a few times a year. So make sure you check it out. Heartlandinvestmentsummit.com. All right, as I talked about before we got started, we're talking about property casualty insurance. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to break this down to me giving you what works for me. So I am not uh, a licensed insurance agent. Uh, I, have do, I do not have uh, 30 years of experience as a property casualty insurer especially for multifamily. But what I do have is going on 30 years of talking to, working with uh, insurance carriers uh, from small properties all the way up to large properties. And not only that, I have dealt with a number of insurance claims over the years, whether it's been a fire, whether it's been a flood, uh, whether it's been a tornado. Whether You pretty much name it. The only thing I have not dealt with is a hurricane. Okay, I've not dealt with a hurricane, not done that, but I've pretty much dealt with about everything you can imagine that happens in terms of damage and coverage on apartment communities. Everything from heck a tree falling through the building uh, to the building catching on fire, tornado, flood, you name it. And so what we're going to do on this podcast is I'm going to give you some quick and easy to remember strategies when it comes to selecting the right carrier for your next multifamily investment or purchase. And by doing so, not only will you save literally thousands of dollars in insurance premiums, but you will save hundreds of thousands of dollars easily 
in the unlikely event you have to file a claim for something. And I'll talk to you about the lessons learned. I'm going to talk to you about some scary shit that happened to me. I'm going to talk to you about the good things that happened to me. All of it has to do with insurance. And so let's go ahead and let's get started. And when it comes to selecting, you're going to come up, what's going to happen is you will uh, be at a point sometime where you may have not only, well, let me put it to you this way. If you're not the person that is one of the main decision makers in deciding whom is going to be carrying, who your insurance carrier is going to be from a property casualty standpoint, you're at least going to want to make sure whomever's making these decisions is at least aware of the checklist, the strategies, and the tips we're going to discuss on this podcast. Okay, so if you're like a passive investor, passive investment partner, uh, maybe you're involved in a syndication, you plan on being involved in more syndications or a number of them, whatever, and you don't have an active role in doing all of those administrative things, which include selecting insurance, this information is still going to be very valuable to you. Because when it comes to asking questions of the manager, uh, general partner, whomever it may be, the answers to these questions, uh, I think, are important for you to know. Uh, and you can also maybe have your own little checklist to make sure that things are being done um, as profitably, efficiently, and also in the best way to, at the end of the day, protect you, the investor. Okay? All right. So let's start out with really some basic things that I think need to be included and that you need to understand about property casualty insurance. Number one. You will, there is a difference of coverages. There's really two main coverages. Now, before I start getting into the weeds here, I want you to know I'm going to keep this as simplified as possible, number one. And in order to do that, I'm going to be very general. And so, I mean, there may be circumstances you may run into where circumstances aren't going to fit exactly what I'm going to be talking about during this podcast. But what I'm at least going to be giving you at the very worst case scenario, foundations to be thinking of. Okay? All right, let's go ahead. First of all, you're going to have a choice of really two kinds of insurance you can purchase. One is what's called replacement cost insurance. And the other is what's called actual cash value insurance. So you have replacement cost as a choice or actual cash value. Now, you want to make sure that you understand and you ask about these choices. Okay? I have seen a lot of investors not even ask this question. They don't even know what kind of coverage they've got. If you'd pin them down, do you have actual cash value or replacement costs? Um, I don't know. If there's anything that's really, really, really important to know, it'd be that. Okay? So, number one, you want to make sure you know what kind of coverage you're looking at. Is it actual cash value coverage or... Is it replacement cost? All right, so that's number one. Number two, which is best, Darren? Should I be leaning more towards actual cash value or should I be leaning towards replacement cost? Let's talk about each one of them for just a second. And let's start with replacement cost. Replacement cost at the end of the day is pretty much what it means. So in other words, if something happens to the building or part of the building or buildings, fire burns part of them down. Um, I mean, if there's damage, etc., the insurance will replace the structure. Will actually will absolutely replace it. So if your 24-unit building burns to the ground, replacement cost coverage will rebuild that 24-unit building back to what it was before it burnt down. Now, of course, when it rebuilds it today, there will be th different things, and we'll talk about those in a second. I mean, building codes and, and some things will change if it's built today versus if the property was built in, let's say, 1990. Okay, But that's really what replacement cost is. And just for us right now, all you need to remember is replacement cost coverage, if something happens to the building, either whole or in part, will replace the building. Okay? And we'll pay for the cost and the coverage of replacing the building, less your deductible. 
And we'll talk about deductibles here next. All right. So that's replacement cost. Replacement cost replaces the property. Simple as that. Then there's actual cash value. Actual cash value looks at the property in this manner. They'll look at the property and they'll put a value on it. So let's go back to our 24 unit property again. Let's say the value is a million dollars. Okay. And what actual cash value coverage then does is it calculates how much of this property has depreciated and what's it worth in today's dollars. Okay, so it'll look at the property, how much has it depreciated, and at the end of the day, the depreciated value, the depreciated life, let's say they come up with a value of $500,000. Okay, so they'll say, well, it's really worth a million dollars, but after we factor in depreciation of all the pro all of the fixtures, um, the property, all of the property from A to Z, we really come up with a final value, an actual cash value, ACV, actual cash value of $500,000. And so that is what we will cover is $500,000. We'll write you a check for $500,000 of coverage for this 24-unit building that burnt down. Okay. Now, I want you to think about what I just said there. Replacement cost replaces the entire property less your deductible. Actual cash value only pays for the depreciated part. The, the only pays for the part of the property that hasn't depreciated yet. So it only pays a fraction of the replacement of that property. Very important. Very important. So when you get back to our million dollar property example, our 24 unit property, if you purchase replacement cost insurance, the building burns down, the replacement cost insurance will rebuild the entire building and you start all over again. Simple as that. Actual cash value says, well, yeah, your new construction costs are really going to be about a million dollars, but we're only going to pay $500,000 of that. That's our coverage amount. And guess who has to come up with the other $500,000? That's right, you do. You do. Now, here's the real interesting thing about replacement costs and actual cash value insurance. Rarely does an entire building burn down. Rarely is the entire building destroyed. And it, and it doesn't matter. My experience over the last 30 years is rarely have we had an entire building destroyed. Okay, It's only happened in 30 years. It's happened twice. That's it. Um, and they were small buildings. All of the other claims I've been involved in, and I average probably one or two insurance claims a year, has been partial destruction. So think of it this way. Tenant leaves the stove on in their unit. Um, grease fire in their unit. It destroys maybe three of the 12 units. Um, tornado goes by. Uh, actually, after the tornado goes by, um, maybe only... Six of the 24 units really need work and, and need to be reconstructed. Um, a flood, if there's a flood that happens, a pipe bursts, maybe only eight of the 24 unit units will need to be. So most of the time, you will be dealing with partial destruction of a property, not full destruction. Most of the time. So also, think about this. If that's the case, Replacement cost insurance replaces the entire property. Again, if eight of our 24 units are destroyed by a, a bursting pipe, then replacement cost insurance will pay for whatever it takes to get those eight units back up and ready to go and ready to rent. All right? Actual cash value, though, again, takes that depreciation out of it. Well, those eight units, the value of those eight units is really to, re, to fix it and get those back up to speed is going to be about $800,000. Uh, but once we take the depreciation out, we'll cut you a check for um, $520,000. Um, and you need to come up with the rest of that 800, the rest of the balance to get to that $800,000 amount. Okay. Um, so at the end of the day, actual cash value doesn't really make a lot of sense. There's a couple of ways, there's a couple of places it does, and I'll talk about that. 
But it doesn't make any sense for you as an investor to bear the risk of having full or part of your property destroyed and then paying at least 40 to 50% of the cost to replace it. That's really what actual cash value does. Okay. That's really what it does is it replaces only 40 to 50% of partial or total damage to a property. Okay. It doesn't make sense if you've got a 24 unit property again, that's worth a million dollars. You own it for three years, half of the building gets destroyed by fire, and now you've got to reach into your pocket again for probably close to another million dollars in order to rebuild those other 12 units again. Now you're into the building $2 million. See what I mean? It just does not make sense. That's why I, I am a replacement cost coverage guy. Replacement cost. So anytime I buy insurance for any properties that we own, I go with replacement cost. Now, sometimes does it make sense to do actual cash value? Yes. Let me give you a couple of examples of where it does make sense. Number one, if you happen to buy an apartment community that does not appreciate uh, or does not have a very good chance of appreciating or needs a lot of work before it gets up to where you need it to be, okay? Um, so what an actual cash value will do, will cover your liability, you know, any kind of liability that might happen. Uh, but let's say it's a very, very old property. Let's say it won't really appreciate very fast. Uh, let's say it needs a whole bunch of work done to it. Well, initially, maybe it makes sense to do actual cash value coverage, Okay. That might make sense in that case. Um, or maybe you're buying a property with multiple buildings. So recently I looked at a 400 plus unit apartment community that had 66 buildings. That's right, 66. Well, you have 66 roofs, 66 exteriors, 66 everything. Now, in some cases, Actual cash value might not be a bad way to go with a property like that that has, you know, 60 plus buildings. That might be a better, that might not be a bad alternative. Okay. So there are some alternatives where it may make sense where actual cash value might not be a bad idea, uh, but at least you know that your liability is covered. Here's another example. Uh, I've got a, I've got an owner, a gentleman that's owned a property that's next to a medical clinic. This is an old four-unit property uh, built in the early 1900s next to the medical clinic. And it's not a matter of if the medical clinic is going to buy it to expand or parking lot or whatever. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. So really, there's more land value with this property than there is building value. In those cases, actual cash value makes the most sense, right? Because if it burns down, if something happens to it, and you don't really plan on rebuilding, maybe because the land is more valuable than the building, maybe there's development going on around you. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why it may not make sense to rebuild that building if it is destroyed or partially destroyed, then yes, actual cash value is the way to go. But... Aside from that, if that's not the case, you want to go with replacement cost, okay? Now, that's number two. Number three, deductibles. You always want to go with as high of a deductible as you can, that you can comfortably pay if and when something does happen, okay? You always want to go with as high of a deductible as you can if and when something does happen. So we had a uh, $15,000 deductible on a property uh, that, uh, no, I take it back. It's $5,000. It was a $5,000 deductible on a 12-unit property that we owned. This property, due to an arsonist, uh, a guy that was mad at his girlfriend, decided to walk into the building. She wouldn't let him in the apartment. Well, he decided to pour gasoline on her door and light her door on fire. Well, uh, that psycho 
uh, went ahead and basically destroyed most of our 12 units. And the damage of those units was, you know, in the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. So the insurance company paid everything, but we paid a $5,000 deductible. Okay. And for a 12-unit property, $5,000, $10,000, $20,000 deductible probably makes sense. So just think of it this way. The larger the deductible, the lower your insurance premium is going to be. But you don't want to have such a large deductible that you'll have problems coming up with it if and when the unlikely happens. Okay? And again, I'm talking mainly replacement cost here. So, number three, you want to have as large of a deductible that you can comfortably pay, not easily pay, Okay, but you can comfortably pay if and when something were to happen. That's number three. All right, number four. Number four, you want to make sure that your insurance covers loss of rents. Okay, you want to make sure your insurance covers loss of rents. Some insurance policies, some casualty, property and casualty insurance will not cover loss of rents. You have to make sure that that's in the policy. So back to our 12-unit discussion. Again, we had a 12-unit uh, uh, that uh, we had a fire problem. The building was down for almost a year. So from the date the fire happened to the day we could open up the building and have people start moving into it, it was pretty close to a year. Well, every single month, we got paid rent from the insurance company because we had rental loss of rents coverage. You need to make sure you have the same thing. You don't want to have a building down and not be able to receive income because you can't lease those units because the building's down. Okay? So, loss of rents coverage. Number five, you want to make sure that you are dealing with and have coverage from a reputable big name insurance company, okay? Uh, I guess I could say Fortune 500. Would be, You want to have a reputable company, a company that you know has the financial resources to back you up in the event you have an issue or a problem, okay? Um, so as an example, uh, on uh, some of our properties, we have American Family Insurance. Well, American Family is one of the largest companies in the U.S., I think we're going to be fine. On uh, some of our properties, we have some large Midwestern insurance companies. So Pekin Insurance is one that covers a lot of our apartments. Okay, So we go with large companies that have a very big footprint, um, either regionally like Midwest or nationally like a um, American family. Uh, some of our properties are covered by State Farm. Okay, If, if we have a claim issue... I doubt State Farm's going to have trouble coming up with money to cover the claim. Now you go ahead and look at the opposite of that. You don't want Joe Spadat's insurance to cover your property. Okay, you don't want that. You don't want a no-name, someone you've not heard of before. You want to do your research here. You want to do your research. Because at the end of the day, even if you've done everything right, you've got the right coverage, if your insurance company can't cover it, guess what? That's right. They're going to be coming for you for the coverage. So make sure you do a good job of picking your insurance company that they have been in business for many years. They're reputable and they're large, large, not tiny, not small, not just starting out. Okay. All right. That was number five. Number six, I'm going to give you some very, very good advice. Ordinance and law. I want you to remember this term. Ordinance and law. What is ordinance and law? What is that? It is usually optional coverage you can get on your property casualty insurance. Uh and you want to get it. There will be limits of what you can get up to certain amounts, but you want to get it. What is ordinance and law? Well, think of it this way. Let's say that you own a building that was built in 1980. 
and unfortunately, you have a fire. Uh, good news is you've got replacement cost insurance. You don't help have that actual cash value stuff. You've got replacement cost insurance. They're ready to cover it, ready to rebuild it and get working on it. But some building codes have changed. Okay. Um, instead of having the electric meters inside the building, now they've got to be moved outside. They've got to be facing the, the east and they've got to have these new timers and counters and all this technology implemented and installed. Okay. Oh, now we got to move the gas lines. We got to move the gas lines. Oh, now we have to do some sprinkler system work. Now, okay, so all of a sudden, because building codes are different today than they were, let's say, in 1980 or 85 when the building was built, now you've got a whole new set of circumstances here. Well, ordinance and law is coverage that covers you in the event there's extra expense for that. Okay? Extra expense for that. So if there's zoning changes, if there are law changes between that time, building code changes, ordinance and law coverage will provide you coverage for the extra expense you may have to take care of that if changes need to be made. So I'll give you another real world example. So back to our 12 unit that caught on fire by the arsonist. Okay. Um, when that happened, the building was built in the late 60s. So obviously building codes have changed since the late 60s uh, to, um, you know, 2017. So uh, electric meters needed to be moved uh, and a whole variety of things needed to be changed that were basically new building code or new requirements from municipalities, utility companies, etc. cetera. Um, well, ordinance and law coverage covers that for you up to a certain amount, of course. Okay, but ordinance and law covers that. Um, and sometimes if you don't have that ordinance and law coverage, you're reaching in your pocket for that. So even though you have replacement costs, it'll fix everything, bring everything up to date. But now if all of these new things need to be done because ordinances and laws have changed, the insurance company can say, well, you need to, ta you need to take care of some of this too. And if you have ordinance and law coverage as an add-on, you should be fine, okay? So ordinance and law coverage, that is number six. Number seven, make sure when you have your replacement cost, your values are accurate, okay? Your values are accurate. So would it be safe to say that it's going to cost more to rebuild an apartment community today than it was when it was built 25 years ago. Of course. Of course. So when it comes to replacement cost, you really want to make sure you have an accurate number on what it would actually cost to replace the property. See, here's a mistake I see investors making all the time. They'll buy an apartment community, and let's say they pay a million dollars for it. So they may feel the property is worth a million dollars. And so in terms of any coverage, they'll say, yeah, yeah, let's just limit the coverage to a million because that's what it's worth. Makes sense. Sounds logical. But do you think it would cost a million dollars to replace it? No. I would contend it's probably going to cost at least 50% more. So your coverage should actually be for replacement cost more than what you pay for it. Because it's going to cost more to replace it than what you paid for it. Unless you're just buying some unless you're buying new construction. So if you're buying new construction and it's done today, that's a different story. Right? Um, so we recently picked up a property, 100 plus unit property, and we paid six million two for it. Okay, six million two for 120 plus units, all right? And you could argue and logically say, well, that's what it's worth. Oh no, oh no. Our coverage, our replacement cost coverage is almost double that. Why? Because if something happens, I know it will cost almost, 
in this case, with this property, almost twice as much to build it versus what we paid for it because we're talking today's dollars in replacing the property. So it's smart when you're purchasing a property to go through this exercise. What would it cost to really replace it? And that's what you want to base your coverage on. If you currently have coverage on your properties now, what would it cost to replace it? And you want to be moving your coverage numbers around. So at least once a year, I'm looking over our insurance coverages and I'm making the mental calculation, do we have enough coverage for this property, yes or no? Okay, yes or no? Um, and make that change accordingly. And make the change accordingly. All right, so that's number seven. Number eight, make sure when you are choosing a company, you get a minimum, a minimum of three quotes from the top insurance companies or the kind of insurance companies that I talked about. So where is a good resource for, hey, Darren, who should I talk to about the insurance companies I should be talking to? How do I know the difference between MetLife, State Farm, um, Geico? I mean, there's all, there's hundreds of insurance companies. How do you know? You want to talk, you want to start talking to landlords and people in the business. You want to talk to apartment owners in the business. That's who you want to talk to. You want to talk to lenders, appraisers, and apartment owners, community owners and managers in the business. They'll be able to tell you who you should be contacting, who you should be talking to. Okay? You just don't want to go to, you just don't want to go to Google and type something in and that's your choice. Remember before, some, I said what some of your criteria should be on when it comes to who you choose, okay, and how large they should be, reputable, how long they should be in business, etc. But when it comes to, well, geez, who should I be talking to in the first place? The first person you ask is another apartment community owner or investor or property manager, appraiser, lender. Those are the groups you talk to, okay? Those are who you talk to. You will find a large difference. Not sometimes you don't, but many times you do. Large difference in premiums. So we are closing on a 42-unit property tomorrow. So whenever you're listening to this, you know, uh, tomorrow we're closing on this property. And for pretty much the same coverage, I have three quotes of insurance. I have one at $21,000 annually. I have one at $13,900 annually. And I have another one at $11,200 annually. And they're all pretty much the same coverage, same deductible, replacement cost, etc. Now, what if I just would have contacted the, uh, it was actually the second company that gave me that $20,000 plus um, quote. What if I wouldn't have contacted anybody else? Yeah, I'd have eight grand, heck more than that, almost $10,000. I would be pretty much thrown out the window as I drive down the road. So you want to have at least three options. You want to compare and you want to let these insurance carriers know you're talking to other insurance carriers. You want them to know this. Okay, you want them to know this. So here's the attitude you'll get from the insurance carriers. It'll either be, well, Darren, fine, I understand. I'll work my tail off to get you the best rate I can get. Or sometimes they'll say, well, I mean, why should we even spend our time if you're going to choose X, Y, or Z? Because then they see they already know that they're not going to be competitive. They already know. And you'll also find sometimes some companies will be great with properties 20 years old or less, less than 20 years old. Some companies will be super aggressive in terms of the kind of premiums you'll pay and the kind of coverage you'll get. But when it comes to properties over 20 years, that same company that might be super fantastic could be the worst one. 
could be the worst one. So that's why I found over the years, you don't always depend on one. Pro so just because one company is great with two or three properties, they may be on the bottom. They may be at the bottom of the ladder on the next three you purchase. So that's why you always get three quotes. Again, remember, I suggest replacement cost, only actual cash value coverage, only certain kinds of circumstances. Okay? Number nine, you want to review coverage at least once a year to once every two years. So what that means is you want to shop around and see if any other carriers are better, are better. And so what I'll typically do is about every year to two years, I will now, even this is, this is with properties we already have covered and we already have premiums that we believe are very competitive and everything is good. I'll still shop around, especially when I get the invoice or when we get the invoice or when I'm told the invoice is coming and we're, we are renewing our policies again. So I'll look at that and then make a decision on whether or not this is something we should shop around. And 99% of the time we shop around and we find out, are we competitive? Are we not? What's going on out there? The only way where you can keep in front of this is to shop around and find out what's going on out there. And I recommend you do the same, at least every one to two years. Okay. Number 10. And this will be my last tip. One thing that will influence you, I've talked about everything that you need to keep in mind so far in the first nine. I've talked about finding that insurance company. I've talked about the proper insurance to structure, in my opinion, whether it's actual cash value or replacement cost, and when to use each one uh, in deciding what kind of cost you want. Not surprisingly, replacement cost is more expensive, costs more than actual cash value coverage does. Okay, I talked about uh, making sure you have loss of rents. I talked about making sure you have ordinance and law coverage. And, and so we, we've covered a lot of ground here. But what we've covered all so far has had nothing to do in terms of when a claim is filed. Right? We've talked about everything you need to keep in mind in terms of if a claim is filed, right? But we've not talked about, well, what happens when a claim is filed? So let's talk about that for a second. And this will have a lot to do with whom you choose to do business with. Because with some companies, you'll find that their service when a claim is filed is terrific as terrific as the service you got before the claim is filed. So if you're working with a company and their agent is great, their follow-up is great, their information is great, their response time, they're very competitive, they do a great job. And even when a claim is filed, they do a great job. Again, follow-up, keeping you posted, helping you out, reimbursing for expense, etc., etc. They're good from A to Z. But some when a claim is filed, the first thing they'll do is look for a way to not pay the claim. Okay? They'll try to see if there's any language in the policy that minimizes their exposure. It's the first thing they'll do. So the first thing they won't do is, hey, Darren, how can I help you? Or, hey, Mr. or Mrs. Investor, what can we do? How can we help you out with this claim? What do we need to do? The first thing they do is, well, we'll get back to you. We're going to go ahead and we're going to go through the policy again and make sure we're all covered, i.e., that's code for we're going to see if there's anything in the coverage that's a loophole that will allow us to get out of paying for something. Let me give you a couple of examples that I've run into over the years. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, a few years ago, we had an insurance company that we had covering a property of ours a tree fell through a garage. So a tree behind a garage, it was a one of our four stall garages that our residents used. So the tree fell on the garage. So we had replacement cost coverage. So everything was covered, except they found a way not to cover the hauling 
of the tree once it was cut up from the site to wherever they take a cut up tree. I'm not kidding. I want you to think about that. So this replacement cost coverage paid for everything except the cost of hauling the tree from the property to wherever they dumped the tree. They got out of that because of some kind of language they found in the policy to not pay for it. Okay? Um, absolutely ridiculous. We had another policy where even though we thought we had all of our I's dotted and T's crossed, they found language where they wouldn't have to replace a certain set of switches in the property. Okay? In the property. Uh, and, of course, we took the cost of that. Um, look, you'll find companies that will, again, from A to Z be great, and others that will come, try to come up with a list of things they don't think they need to pay for to minimize their loss. So, I tell you this because that will then influence you on whether or not you are going to have them cover your property after that happens. Let me give you another example. We had a vacant apartment in a 24-unit building that we owned. And uh, it was vacant for, oh, I want to say probably about three weeks. So for about two of those three weeks, evidently a leak had started in the bathroom. So you picture it. Picture it in your mind's eye. In the bathroom, above the tub and shower, in the bathroom above that unit, their tub and shower was leaking below, so that was dripping slowly into the bathroom below, causing a mess. Well, if the, if the unit's vacant, and uh, it had already been rented, but the person wasn't moving in for a couple of weeks, there really isn't a reason for a staff member to go in there, you know, to check and see how things are going. So for about two weeks, this unit's waiting for its tenant, this slow drip was going on in the bathroom. Of course, we find out about it after two weeks. We call, get in touch with the insurance company, and here's what they say. Well, the coverage does cover for a broken pipe or a burst pipe, but the coverage does not cover you for a slow, dripping leak. How ridiculous can you be? So in all of these circumstances, I fought them. I told them how, I mean, I went back and forth. In some cases, we did get some more money from the insurance company to help. In some cases, we didn't. Okay. But these things will happen, will come up, and will influence you when it comes time for you to make a decision, again, on whether you renew the policy uh, or not. Okay. Or not. And so I've given you 10 things to think about, 10 tips for property casualty insurance. And I've been very general here. I didn't want to get into the weeds on certain things and on uh, you know, various uh, scenarios <clears throat> because there's always, uh, there's always outlying things that you could discuss. But I think what I've shared with you, I'm going to tell you, 90% of investors don't know. They don't know. They don't think about it, and unfortunately, they find out about these things when it's too late, and usually that means more money out of their pocket. Okay, So I'm going to finish with a story. This is an insurance story. It's one that I've told before, but I haven't told it in a long time, so it's going, probably going to be new to you. And it has to do with having coverage from the, um, the most riskiest insurance Coverage from the insurance company that covers the riskiest of assets in the world. Who would that be? And why would anybody in their right mind that owns multifamily real estate go to them for coverage? I'll tell you the story here in just a moment. Uh, so in 2004, a partner and I, just us two, we decided we're going to buy a 60-unit property in a city in... Um, 
in southeast Iowa. Okay? And so we buy this property, 60 units, 10 six-unit buildings side by side. 10 six-unit buildings, most of them two-bedroom, side by side. So we buy this property. Within one year of owning this property, two things happen in less than a year. Number one, one building catches on fire and is partially destroyed. So out of the six units, three units are destroyed. Uh, they need to be rebuilt, redone. The other three units are okay. But everybody's got to be out of the building while the construction is going on. We did have replacement cost coverage. So that happened. Uh, the same year, that winter, our property manager failed to check and make sure in the dead of winter that the heat was on in any of the vacant units. And in one of our vacant unit, of course, it would be the top unit in the building on the very top floor, a pipe burst, got pipe frozen burst, and all that water flooded the building. Okay. So out of six units there, we had four more units that needed to be totally gutted and rebuilt. At the end of the year, we submitted claims for over $400,000. Now, when that happens to you, when that happens, and your insurance policy is up for renewal, do you think that the insurance company will be excited to renew your coverage? Of course not. They want to run away from you as fast as possible. They didn't want to renew. Here's the second little problem that this causes. The second problem is, now you can't find anyone that wants to cover you. When you have two claims that add up to pretty close to half a million dollars within one year's period of time, the insurance companies don't exactly line up to get your business. They run away from you. They run away from you. So where does that leave you? Well, if you're wealthy enough, or have enough money, you can be self-insured. You don't need insurance. You can just write a check for whatever happens or whatever comes up. Uh, well, I can tell you that my partner and I were not in that position when this happened. And so we're searching. We're trying to find insurance company to cover. We can't find anybody. And finally, our bank is now sending us nasty letters. Why is the bank sending us nasty letters? Because the bank is saying, hey, guys. We noticed that your insurance is up and you haven't replaced the coverage. And so the coverage better be replaced by such and such a date. Otherwise, we'll go out and find coverage to make sure we're protected. Oh, and by the way, if we do that, you're paying this super inflated premium. And by the way, it only covers us. It doesn't cover you. That's pretty much what the communication said. So now what the hell do we do? Well... About your only choice is to turn to the insurance company known the world over that insures the most riskiest occupations, properties, equipment, etc. And that is a company that everybody knows of as Lloyd's of London. So the only coverage we could find was through Lloyd's of London. Good news. We got coverage. Bad news. What it was going to cost. So prior to this, if you wanted coverage, insurance coverage for 60 units, at this time, you were paying about $8,500 to $9,000 a year in insurance premiums. For your typical, conventional, good replacement cost policy. our insurance premium went from $9,000 to over $33,000 a year. Almost four times what we were paying. 
And by the way, now we were paying more in insurance than we were in property taxes. Do you think a property cash flows very well when your insurance does times six? Or excuse me, times four? No. But what's our choice? We got to do it. Right. Got to do it. Uh so, yeah, we had insurance and the premium was such that we financed the premium. So when your premium is that high, <clears throat> you can actually get financing to finance the insurance premium. That's how ridiculous it is. So what's my lesson there? Number one, to tell you a good and real world story that shit does happen sometimes and you've got to deal with it. And there's a whole bunch of lessons we can talk about. Just that one little story that is separate from our insurance conversation. But number two is you want to be doing your homework and your research. And at least you don't need to be spending hours and hours on this. But the tips I've given you, the understanding that I've given you, will help you get through anything. If nothing ever happens, you never have to file a claim and all is good, then terrific. Good for you. But I will tell you, the majority of apartment communities you're involved in as an investor, excuse me, the more apartment communities you're involved in as an owner or investor, not surprisingly, the odds increase substantially that you will have an insurance claim. Um, and as long as you listened and at least uh, go through the process of implementing some of these tips, these 10 tips and strategies I've given you, you're going to be more than likely just fine. Just fine. Okay. So uh, I hope this has been an informational um, and interesting podcast this week. Even though we talked about something kind of as boring as property and casualty insurance, there's not a lot of guys out there, not a lot of women out there, not a lot of people out there talking property casualty insurance. But heck, we just spent about, a, oh, I don't know, 30 minutes on it. And so if you have any questions or comments regarding what I've talked about, Feel free to get in touch with me. I'm happy to, to chat with you, um, have some dialogue with you about this week's podcast. Uh, happy to do it. I would happy to be hear your stories. You have an insurance story. You have a crazy insurance story you want to talk about. Would love to chat with you and get your story and share that with all of our other members as well. So let me know about that. And then lastly, again, I will remind you our Heartland Investment Summit again is coming up in January of 2020 and March of 2020. Uh, make sure you go to heartlandinvestmentsummit.com for more information on the Multifamily Investment Summit. It will be fantastic. And uh, the takeaways you'll get from that, as well as the wealth building you'll get, is really, in my opinion, unsurpassed. So again, heartlandinvestmentsummit.com. All right. Have a great day. Have a great week or weekend. Whenever you've joined me, take care and we'll talk to you later. All right. We'll see you. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining the Apartment Specialist Podcast. For investment questions, comments, or to get in touch with Darren, go to www.heartlandinvestmentrealestate.com.